Hey, y'all, just a quick heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is eight to 10 years old. Now, these episodes were intended to be evergreen, and I still believe there's a lot of good information in these early episodes, but I do want to let you know that some of my ideas have evolved over time. Times have changed since we made these episodes, and ultimately, I'd like to think I've grown a lot as an artist and a human and that these don't necessarily represent my best work or the best of the podcast. If you're new around here, I suggest starting with the most recent episode or at least go back to around 300 and move forward from there. Enjoy the episode. The greatest gift that the universe can give you is perspective. Hey, everybody, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. This show is about commercial art, making good money and making great art. I'm your host, Andy J. Miller. Illustration Age is our proud syndicate. You can find this show at illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk on SoundCloud and iTunes. Today on the show, we have a serious treat. I almost said tweet. (laughs) We have a serious treat. On the show, we have an interview with none other than the Lisa Congdon. Lisa Congdon is a illustrator and hand letterer. Her work is fantastic. She's extremely prolific. She has work all over the gambit in terms of painting, lettering, uh, patterns, all kinds of jazz from all different uh, spectrums of the creative market. And you know what? I was really, really, really hoping that I could get her on the podcast because she has a similar passion to me for helping others strike a balance between business and art um, and, and trying to help others navigate that those tough waters. And um, I just have appreciated that for several years. It's been a thrill to kind of watch from afar. Her work just continues to grow in in maturity, depth, interest. Um, it, it gets more and more unique. And you can just see as she puts all of this time and energy into the sketchbooks and the development and the experiments and the personal projects that things just get more and more interesting. Um, and it's been fascinating to watch her career kind of explode as she continues to do all these things and, and, and put her work out there. Um, it's just been really interesting to watch from afar and read interviews and see all of that develop. And I was really interested to speak with her one-on-one about um, where she's at right now because I think she's in a really, really interesting spot. And we have a phenomenal conversation, very um, of the moment, very personal, real talk, as you may say, um, about where she is and and, and how, uh, what she's excited about right now and what the struggles are now and what advice she would have given herself, uh, you know, a few years ago as she was climbing this mountain. 
Um, so thank you, Lisa, for being on the show. You are a phenomenal human, and I appreciate all the things you're doing. I love your work, and uh, I'm grateful to get to watch you um, develop as an artist online. If you don't know Lisa Congdon, go check out her uh, work and go check out her personal projects and her blog where she writes about creativity and business. Lisa has worked for MoMA, just a little museum you may have heard of, uh, Chronicle Books. She's done work with Harvard University. She, she's done just some really, really amazing things. Go check out the work. Uh, go check out her book, Art Inc., that she did with Chronicle Books. It's about business and art, what the podcast is about. Um, so that might be relevant to you. And uh, she just has a lot of experience, knows her stuff, knows how to really make it in the creative world because she's thriving financially and she's figuring out that balance of creative fulfillment. I'm going to see her at Icon this year. Massively looking forward to that. We're media sponsors for Icon this year, so I will be there. Um, It's going to be a great time. If you're going to be at Icon, hit me up on Twitter at AndyJPizza. Say hi. Love to... uh, um, I'm going to try to interview a lot of people. Can't maybe get to everybody, but... um, And uh, I'd love to meet. So uh, tweet to me there. Thank you guys for supporting the podcast. I hope you love this conversation as much as I loved having it. Here we go. Lisa Congdon. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. First of all, thank you for being on the show. Uh, your work is fantastic. You have uh, just an. Um, I've been watching your kind of career unfold over the past couple years, and I definitely I don't see a lot of people that I'm really like blown away by their ability to a be as prolific as you are. Um, to have as much kind of mastery in lots of different areas, push yourself creatively, all of these things, just fascinating. And so I'm just thrilled to have you on the show. So thank you, first of all, for being here. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, the number one reason why I wanted you to come on the show is because I think I'm an artist who believes that you can be a 100% business person and 100% artist without that being a conflict. And I know that I'm assuming since you wrote a book about that topic that uh, you would agree with that. 
Yes. Yeah. I do agree with that. I think that, um, go ahead. No, you go, you go. This is, this is about you. (laughs) I was going to say what, you know, what's interesting is that, um, I I do think that last night I should preface this by saying last night I'm giving the commencement address at MCAD this year, Minneapolis College of Art and Design. Yeah. And, um, I was thinking about what I wanted to say to the students Mm. And I can only talk for like 15 minutes, so it's not going to be a long talk. Yeah. Apparently, I was told that they don't have a very long attention span. <laughs> but, um, Kids these days. Anyway, so I was I the message that I feel like um, one of the messages that I've been that it, you know was really part of my book in Art Inc. And one of the yeah. messages that I wanted to give to these these students is that there really never has been a better time to be an artist. And part of that is because we've never had, artists have never had access to all of the business tools and resources, you know, or ways to promote their work and get their work into the world that exists now. And so that makes being an artist and being a business person much easier. But there has been a lot of, you know, I think there's a lot of resistance, not necessarily around, among, you know, the next generation of artists. Yeah. But in old school artists, like, part of your identity as an artist was to like starve and suffer and um and that you know promoting your work or even referring to what you do as your brand was Mm. sort of like antithetical to the creative process and I really think that's all kind of bullshit so um so the way that we can sustain our livings is to run a business in a smart way and there are lots of different ways to do that but um I think it it actually helps the arts instead of, of, of hindering it. Yeah. And actually I, a thought that I've had recently was that, you know, you've seen a lot of these designers and illustrators kind of shift gears at some point from being really focused on client work and getting new clients. And you see kind of a light bulb moment for a lot of people where they realize that those businesses that have the business acumen to take the work that um, the design and illustration that they're doing for them and go and make tons of money uh, kind of on the back of that work. And you see people have this kind of entrepreneurial uh, light bulb go off where it's like, actually, we're the people making the content. And so we have the, if we can figure out the business side, we can actually cut out the middleman from a lot of these different things. Um, and I found that to be really interesting. Like, uh, I feel like as I continue to grow my business, um, I think early on, the, the, the big time clients had a massive draw for me. Um, and I, and I still like doing that work, but at some, somewhere along the way, I definitely kind of, shifted to thinking actually i can uh i can kind of make a business myself or i can i can kind of deliver value straight to people um and it seems like do you do you look at yourself as an entrepreneur oh definitely um i didn't necessarily always but yeah. i do now and i think what you're saying is is true on a number of levels like you know in the internet has created this this space where a lot of the rules that used to exist about 
how you, what was okay and what wasn't okay in terms of how you were going to do your design or illustration career. Like you had to choose between being a fine artist or an illustrator. You, yeah. In the old days, you had to choose between being even an editorial illustrator versus a surface designer. You had to make all these choices, right? Like you mm. couldn't mix, the, there was no cross-contamination allowed that they all had, there's, you know, there's certain amount of prestige with associated with certain ways of doing things. And also, in order to get your work into the world, you had to have an agent or mm. somebody handling your work or promoting your work for you. There was, um, or you, you know, if you were a fine artist, you had to ha find the right gallery or land the right show. And now we're in this place where the playing field is really leveled. Like, there's mm. this space where anyone, if you use it well, um, can, can promote their business and build their business um, and show the world what they do, which eliminates that sort of middleman. It also makes this direct relationship between client and illustrator more possible mm. um, than it's ever been. And I'm I'm with you. Like I I love that, yeah. and um, I love um, I love having those relationships. And um, I had an agent for a long time, and I loved I her. Gonna, that's, that was I the next of, thing I was going to ask you about. Actually. Yeah, I I outgrew it. I I was with Lola Rogers, who's who's amazing and very well known. And, mm -hmm. um, but for me, it was like, we agreed actually in the end that I had built my own brand and it didn't make sense for me to be subsumed under her brand. A lot of the work that I was getting was coming directly to me. She was mm -hmm. still getting me work, but I was yeah. getting enough on my own that like giving away a commission didn't really make sense. Mm. And, um, of course now my, I have my own team that works, in my studio and we have to make decisions about money and negotiations yeah. and all these things that she do for me. Yeah. So that's a little bit challenging sometimes, but, um, but it also makes me feel really empowered. Like if I don't want to take a job or if I wanted a job, um, but only if it's going to pay me a certain amount of money because that's what it's worth to me. Yeah. I don't have to explain that to anybody. Else. Yeah. I can just call the shots and do it or not do it. Where when you have a rep or an agent, those conversations are sometimes difficult. Yeah, actually, uh, something that I've been meaning to talk about representation uh, for a while on the show, but I'm I'm a little bit nervous because you know I want to be respectful and 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 I and I'm not an expert. You know, I've had an agent before, and yeah. um, you know, I've, I'm kind of currently looking into some different relationships. But I think my biggest thing, and I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. My biggest thought is that um, marketing has has kind of dramatically changed. Like what what works, and um, you know, people don't pretty much don't want to be directly marketed to. And I think when yeah. it comes to art, people want to discover things for themselves. And so, um, do you think that the the agent's role or 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 um, an artist partnering with other people, does that look different now than it did, uh, you know, previously in the industry? I think so. I mean, I only came into the industry when the change was happening. So yeah. I only I mean, have a too. slight yeah. bit of experience yeah. with the old school way of doing things. I, but I think I have enough to say that, um, yeah, that sort of the old way, if you were an illustrator or a designer who wanted to work with clients, you would make a postcard and you would call people and you would try mm. to get appointments and you would directly email people. And a lot of that still happens. And in some cases that can be really effective. Um, and that's a lot, a lot of times what the agent is doing. They're basically yeah. like pimping you, pimping your, they're your pimp basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And then when you don't have an agent, you have to pimp, you know, the responsibility <laughs> would be on you to pimp yourself. Um, yeah. But nowadays, it's a little bit more passive. So what I really worked hard at doing was like building my online presence mm-hmm. so that it would be hard for people not to discover me. Because you're right, what I didn't necessarily, and I love the way that you framed that because I hadn't really thought about it in that way, but it is mm-hmm. really true that you know, nowadays, most art directors are scouring Instagram or even Etsy or, you know, Tumblr or, you know, whatever, Pinterest, yeah. to find talent. And making sure that your work shows up in all of those places is really important. And um, so that people can discover you. So, yeah. And in a way, it's kind of cool because it takes the, takes the pressure off of you to have to constantly be, like, doing this direct marketing of yourself, yeah. which really is... While it will, it still works for some people. It really is kind of the old-fashioned way of doing things. Yeah, actually, uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to talk more about that. And I actually think uh, I don't actually do any direct marketing. I have done a small amount um, throughout my career. I don't do any really now. And the way I kind of look at it is. That although uh, there there are people that benefit from that, and I actually think, especially the more old school uh, established illustration markets like editorial and books, I think that they're still kind of a uh, they kind of romanticize the whole industry, and there's kind of a still that kind of like art directors like to receive postcards. There's just I don't know, it just seems the work still kind of yeah. work like that. But um, the way I kind of view it is. You know, there's a, have you ever heard of like the 80-20 law? It's like a business thing. Yeah. And just the idea that, you know, um, what 20% of effort is getting your 80% of results. And I think, I just found that I would put a giant amount of time into direct marketing and pretty much not get anything out of it. Um, Whereas if I just made the work that I wanted to be making and and I figured out ways of getting it out there that... Um, you know, maximizing my discoverability uh, really paid off um, a lot more than, um, and I enjoyed it more because I was actually making art. And and the other, one of the number one reasons I wanted to have you on the show is that uh, you're so prolific and active online and you have been since kind of you started. Um, mm-hmm. So what kind of things, so let's talk a little bit about this idea. You've done a lot of different personal projects online. And um, they're, they seem to be like the foundation of your career. Is that kind of correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, in 2010, no. I did my first personal project. And um, th- at the time, there weren't a lot of personal projects on the internet yet. Yeah. Uh, People were experimenting with things on Flickr a little bit, um, you know, taking a picture a day or drawing a day or whatever. Like there was a few of these things happening, and that's kind of where I got the idea. Mm. And um, I had this idea that both that I wanted to do a daily project, but that I wanted to do something that was related to, but slightly outside of my regular art practice. Yeah. So I'm a big collector of weird things, and mm. um, I, I and I decided to do this project where every day for the year of 2010, I was going to photograph um, one or part of one of my collections. And the way that I photographed them was like, overhead, like where things were arranged on a, 
on a white background in a sort of grid, imaginary grid. Yep. And um, I wasn't the first person to ever do this, but I was the first person to sort of like popularize it. And um, I started this blog called A Collection a Day and um, had already a little bit of an internet following yet already. This was kind of right around the time I joined Twitter. There was I wasn't on Instagram yet, if it, if it even existed. And um, But I had this blog, and so I was um, posting these photos, and it caught on pretty quickly. And um, so I started getting press about it. People were, it was resonating for people. Yeah. And I had enough, I had to continue collecting weird things over the course mm-hmm. of the year to make the project interesting and complete. But I also started drawing some imaginary collections. So the great thing about the project is that I made the rules for what it should be and shouldn't yeah. be. And so I kind of worked it as it went along. And then it ended up getting published into a book. And um, at one point earlier, um, you were referring to um, the Creative Mornings talk that I gave in 2011, which was about this project. And um, so many things came from it since then. So, mm. for example, um, MoMA, who's one of my clients, um, which is just the coolest. Saw, saw some of, not necessarily of the, they saw images, not necessarily of the stuff that I'd done in 2010, but that, this idea of drawing and photographing things arranged on a grid, like drawing objects, it's so out there now, like it's everywhere, mm. but, but I was doing it back then and I started to make it a regular part of my art practice. Now, which is sort of how I draw many, make many drawings, um, random collections of things too. Yeah, they saw this work in my portfolio, and they were like, "Oh, would you like to have access to the design collection of Moma and draw <laughs> collections oh my of gosh. things?" And I was like, "Okay." You're like, "No sure. thanks. That sounds terrible." Yeah, and they turned it into <laughs> to notebooks and stuff. But um, oh my gosh! And then there was other things that happened, other clients and other things that happened as, as a result of that project and. Um, and then in 2000, so I took a break and then in 2012, I did this project called 365 days of hand lettering. Mm. I, that one was based on the fact that I felt like I wanted to be a hand letterer, but I had no experience. I didn't want to be a typographer. I didn't want to be a calligrapher. I wanted to just develop my own style of hand lettering. Yeah. And, um, so I did this public thing where like every day and I wasn't very good at first. I was like just posting pictures of things that I was hand lettering and mm. over the course of the year I developed a couple different styles and um, and then I started sort of hand lettering quotations and poetry and then Chronicle Books came to me and said let's turn this into a book yeah. and um, and then a sequel happened several years later and so a lot a lot of these projects have led to other things I did a project in 2013 with Maria Popova of Brain Pickings mm-hmm. we did this project called The Reconstructionist or once a week, not every day. Yeah, um, it's a good shift. I drew a portrait of a famous woman from history, and um, she wrote an essay. That could have become a book. We had lots of interest, but neither of us wanted to go there. Mm. And then this year, I'm doing this new project. I haven't done one in a couple of years, and it's weekly, and it's called Experiment in Blue, and I'm making pieces of art that are made mostly using blue, blue paint. Mm. I can, I'm allowed to use a couple other colors, but... <laughs> So I love these personal challenges, and they always push me creatively, but they always also lead to more interest in my work. Yeah. And I've seen other people do similar things that have completely changed their careers. Yeah, yeah, and I, I definitely, 
my, I feel like my career has kind of completely been built on personal projects. And it sounds like yes. initially uh, with the things organized neatly, that was kind of birthed out of just fun and interest. And then the, um, and it was maybe you said like loosely related to what you do. And then you did this, the project where you wanted to develop a specific skill. Uh, so there's like yeah. a very specific purpose for that. And I know from like reading interviews and, and, and different things that, that you, you're obviously have become a lot more busy and you've dedicated these giant, uh, parts of your life to making this work every day. And it, and it sounds like it became to be a lot of work and a lot of commitment. And you said you have the new project, the, the blue project. And I'm wondering mm -hmm. two things like one, uh, as you were like getting ready to do this new project, what the, were the motivations and the criteria? How, how have they changed or, um, what specific like things were motivating you? Yeah, it's interesting. I don't, I, this new project has zero to do with getting, well, not that any project I've ever done has been specifically for the purpose of getting work. Like, yeah, yeah. in fact, I advise people against approaching projects that way. Mm. You actually, to do a daily or even a weekly project, you have to have some intrinsic motivation to either learn something yeah. or try something new or put something interesting into the world. Yep. Um, if you do it purely for those other reasons, it's not going to go well. Um, and it, people will see that. Yeah. And actually I did a uh, project just to, for full disclosure, I did a project where um, I thought, you know what, I'd like to do book covers. And I started doing like book cover designs from like books from the uh, right. um, the public domain. And I started doing them like, you know what, I just don't want to do this. Like, it, yeah, it might right. like. Well, and sometimes you don't discover that in, until, <laughs> until you're, you're in it project, and you're like, yeah. it's actually not as fun as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So exactly. anyway, I, okay. So I, um. What was it? so 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 my new project yeah um is really interestingly i mean i, I have more opportunity and work than i can handle most days like yeah. um i already have books and work booked out um through 2017 like it's kind of <laughs> nuts yeah. and i'm always like liking to work with new clients and i take mm -hmm. short term projects but i have a couple long term projects and stuff so it's not like i have any necessity to necessarily learn something new or or expose more people to my work, this particular project came out of um, this interesting shift that's happened in my career. So I started off ten years ago. I was mostly a fine artist. I was like having shows mm. in galleries, and I fell into illustration because um, some people were seeing my work online that these original pieces, and were like, "I want to reproduce that," or "Could I hire you to do this illustration?" And so I sort of I never aspired to be an illustrator, although I realized pretty quickly it was a much easier way to make money than True. Um, than fine art. Yeah, I mean, I I am so impressed with fine artists who manage to like build a full career around around their work. It's it's a lot of work. Mm. Anyway, um, and not that illustration isn't, but it's just a lot of work in a in a sort of different way. But anyway, I the pendulum had swung, and I wasn't making very much personal work anymore. Most of the work I was doing was commissioned, mm. and. Um, that's all I had time for. And so I did this residency in upstate New York last August. And the whole point of it was to make personal work and to sort of dive into like figuring out what I, 
you know, my style was developing in all the commissioned work I was doing. And for sure, I was like, it's not like I was a, a an illustration factory or, yeah. <laughs> or a robot. Yeah. I was just turning out illustrations. I mean, I was learning and growing in that part of my career, but I wasn't making as much work just for me that I love to do. So on this residency, I started to do that again. And it was actually really challenging. I had a lot of anxiety because I was like, I don't even know like, what I like to draw anymore. I don't mm. even know what, what I like to do if it's just left up to me and a client's not telling me what they want. Yeah. And so I had a lot of angst, but I worked through it. And I decided one of the constraints I was going to put on myself to make it a little bit easier, this sounds backwards, but it actually works, was to use mostly blue paint mm. so that um, sometimes we're overwhelmed by the choices that we have True. when we have time to just make whatever we want. And so I started making, I made this whole body of work while I was there. I had a show at the end. It was really an amazing experience and I didn't want it to end after that three weeks. So I went back home. I got back into like all the crazy deadlines that I had, you know, were stacking up after the residency. And I decided in the beginning of 2016 that I was going to continue this project, but make one piece a week for the entire year that use mostly blue paint. That's the only constraint. So while they all could potentially fit together in a show at the end of the year they're, or in a book or something, they're all kind of different because it, it's called experiments in blue. Like I'm experimenting not just with the color blue and using blue in different ways, but with the subject matter and just making work that's fun for me. Yeah. But of course, already it's leading to things yeah. because that just happens. Um, and um, so the motivation this time around was more like, um, it was way more personal than any other, and any other. Um, it was kind of like more like my first project, um, and less like the ones that I've done since then. Mm. So, but it's been fun so far. I'm only on week fourteen, but well, that's really interesting. So it sounds like, yeah, uh, one of the things that I talk a lot about on the show is uh, if you're a business, uh, a commercial artist in any way, that there's a pendulum that. Uh, or there's a tightrope where you are balancing creative fulfillment and then also thriving financially. So making money and and making art that you're excited about. And it sounds like naturally your project to project kind of shifts different ways where the, the, the lettering one was more like, I'd like to do lettering and kind of go into that zone. And this one seems like more like born from, necessity of getting back into making art after being kind of, were you burned yeah. out? Yeah. And I'm still burned out. I mean, like yeah. I'm, I think what's going on for me right now is that, I mean, this is the, the part of it that we don't really talk about very often. Yeah. I um, always talk about like that other- stuff on the show. <laughs> Good. That's why we should be yeah. friends because yeah. I like to talk about it too, yeah. which is the other side of success. Like people aspire like, um, to, and I don't, I say this with all the humility in the world, like people yeah. will comment on my Instagram, oh, you have the dream life, like you're living the dream, and I would admit that is true. Mm. I've worked my off, excuse my <laughs> French, for the last, um, yeah, I know, you know and 10 I, years, yeah. but like, I, I, I do have, like, but it's so overwhelming sometimes, and I say yes to way more stuff than mm-hmm. I probably should. I, I'm really working on trying to have boundaries and say no to things because, there's so much opportunity mm. and, um, and, and, and it's really stressful and I, it's weird to complain about it publicly because most people would give their left foot to be in my position, but at the yeah. same time, 
you know, I'm thinking about how to like level off my career or even take it down a notch mm. when a lot of people are still thinking about like how to amp up. Yeah. And I was there once. Yep. But there is a new, you reach a new phase where it's like, how do I sort of, um, now I've worked really hard. You don't want to necessarily rest on your laurels and stop promoting your work or stop having your work be relevant. Those are all really important. Yep. But how do you do that and sort of like ease into a flow that feels good? Because otherwise, you're just working all the time. Mm. There's a lot of burnout. And you don't make your best work when you're burned out either. So yeah. it's hard. And I and honestly, Andy, I have not figured it out oh, yet. Oh, man. <laughs> I, yeah. I feel like uh. I'm like... I could be a guinea pig in a laboratory right now. Well, that's good, actually, because the main thing that I wanted to talk about, other than those other main things that I wanted to talk about, is like what's going on now, what's exciting to you now, how, you know, what are you like working through? Because, you know, I think that you, if people are really interested in knowing the deep details of all those projects and, and where you were at that time, I think that's been pretty cataloged and, you know, there's lots of resources out there. You can go search Lisa and, and find all kinds of, uh, good information, great interviews. Even on my website, there's like a whole page of interviews and, and writing. I'll, yeah, and I'll put like, that in the show yeah. notes even. And, but I think what's fascinating as I'm kind of watching in real time and I hate, feel weird that I keep saying that. Like, <laughs> I, like I'm not like stalking you <laughs> online. I just, you know, we follow, I, fo I follow you online. I can see every yes. once in a while when you have like an interview or something. But, um, but I'm just noticing, I saw your, the great discontent, um, and through my research and like that interview and you're, you're going into new seasons where you have a team. Um, how has that kind of been? Uh, cause I think one of the, I think it's, uh, we're in a weird time where, you know, in the past year for me, 2015 was super busy and I and I got to this stage where I was like chained to my desk. That's what I felt like. I'm just, like, I have to stare at this computer all the freaking time and I'm on deadline all the time and I'm super stressed out. And as I'm like trying to explore, you know, I need help with this and I need partnerships and uh, kind of the old, some of the old models don't seem to be, to make as much sense um, I'm fascinated by uh, watching you kind of create a team around your work, which is pr a pretty unique thing. I think you're probably there's probably not a lot of resources to tell you even how to do that because I don't think many people do that. Is that right? Well, I approached it in it. Yes, yeah. I don't think there's a lot of resources. I approached um, my hiring so. My wife, Clay, only works for me part-time now. She does all my contract negotiations and some of my marketing, but she's getting her real estate license because she kind of like we also discovered, we tried her working for me full-time and yeah. then we're like, we're married. This is really toxic. <laughs> so she only works for me part-time yeah. and she's going to also do her own thing, which will give us some separate lives. And then I ended up hiring a studio manager mm. and I approached the studio manager um, really differently than I think a lot of people approach hiring an assistant. Yeah. Um, um, I think most people think that artist assistants are just younger versions of them, like people who are all, are also aspiring to become um, an illustrator, might have interest in learning from somebody. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you know Wendy McNaughton. Um, I do, yeah. But I know she's a really close, I don't know her close friend of mine. And she had hired a new person right before I did, and so I, we were like talking about it, and she's like, Lisa what is it that you're looking for? Because if you're looking for somebody to organize your time, you know, or help you with writing and editing, organizing your time, 
um, like really managing your business. You don't want another artist. True. Not that there aren't true. artists out there who have those skills. Yeah, true. But true. You, you, you don't you don't want somebody who's a, who's next step in their career is to leave you and go do those things. You want somebody who enjoys doing those things and who wants to do those things as their as their job. Yeah. Um, and who has that skill set? So I wrote this job description that basically had, aside from like it would be great if you knew Adobe Creative Suite. Um, there was nothing on there about being an artist. It was mostly like you are somebody who, um, knows how to, you know, you are really organized, you take initiative, you, um, you know how, and basically I run my life in spreadsheets. Mm. So it was really important to me that the person could develop a workflow for me around each project and Mm. keep me on track because I have so many projects going at one time and all of my projects have multiple parts. Yeah. And it was interesting. I put the job description out. I got 60 applications just from Instagram and my blog. And of those 60 people, all most of them lived in Portland, which is where I live. Yep. And I had like nine people who were so qualified in all of the ways that I was hoping, who I did phone interviews with. And I did in-person interviews with three people. And one of those people is Kristen, who is the woman I ended up hiring. And yeah. she comes with an MFA in publishing and a... You know, she's got, she's like super organized and while she's creative, she has no aspiration to be an artist. And Mm. so she really is like this person who can do all the high level things like writing and she can't draw for me, but she can do pretty much everything else. And she is so smart and so capable and still also willing to not work for, you know, as much as she, she's deserves. I mean, I I like to think I'm paying her decently, but like she deserves even more. Mm. And, um, so I feel like sh- I finally have that like person who's an ex who's like who I'm not constantly having to micromanage or tell what to do. Like, like she it's is a not fully more work integrated to have part of my her work for you. Yeah. No, in yeah. fact, she makes my world like I was talking about being burned out and stressed out. Mm. Andy, I am so much less burned out and stressed out than I was a year ago because like I had a similar year as you were describing yeah, last yeah. year. This year is much easier, even though I have a lot of work, because she does literally half of it for me, yeah. and I can trust her, and I can come into my basement and do an interview with you right now, yeah. and and I'm not like worried about being away from email, or she just makes my life so easy and amazing, And but I re- recognize that I have to pay her, and she's on payroll, and I had to set all that up, and mm. I mean, it's a huge responsibility, but it was like the best decision I ever made, and I feel like... Without her, I'm not sure I could keep this up. Mm. How long? You know? How long ago did you hire? So, she's been with me since January. Okay, cool. That's so awesome. only like three months, and she's already like, I, I was like, I told her the other day, you cannot die, you cannot have a baby, you cannot move, you cannot become seriously ill. You are not a left. Oh man, that is awesome. And actually, you know, I think one thing that I've seen in my own career is I think uh, it's natural to want to collaborate with people that you have affinity for or you're the same as. Early on in my career, I kept, you know, collaborating with people that were just very similar to me. And I found like, as I'm progressing, that it's actually a lot more beneficial to, to collaborate people that have opposite skill sets or where they're bringing a totally yeah. different is she a very different personality type well I as as artists go I'm 
pretty left-brained. Like I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm fairly organized, but not nearly as much as she is. And it really, her ability to organize my days and my projects, and um, she also does stuff like that I hate doing, like um, yeah. cold emailing and calling people. Like I'm, I'm writing this book right now, and I'm interviewing some famous people. Mm. She interview, she like, she does. I do the interviewing, but she like finds them for me and you know all the stuff that would feel really nerve-wracking to me she does um she's also so there there are things in her personality that she loves to do that I sort of don't like to do Mm. so yes we're really different and we're similar enough that we like hanging out we both are very chatty so we end up wasting half the day talking but like (laughs) We also um, complement each other because she's willing to do all the stuff that I hate, mm. and um, and she's not necessarily interested in learning how to draw or paint or becoming. Yeah. I mean, she's fascinated by what I do, but it's not her life goal. So I don't feel this responsibility to teach her things. Yeah, that's and awesome. she's a great self starter. I mean, I can't I can't say enough about the power of finding a good studio manager. Yeah. Um, and you know, and some people do have people do production work and she does a little bit of Photoshop for me and mm-hmm. some stuff in Illustrator when I'm strapped, um, because she has some basic skills. In fact, sometimes I can't figure things out in Illustrator yeah. and I'm like, Kristen, come help me figure this out. Cause <laughs> she's also 20 years younger than I am. So her brain works differently <laughs> yeah. when it comes to technology. Yeah. Like she intuits how to make things work that I can't figure out. That's so awesome. That's another benefit. That's really cool. And actually... I definitely want to encourage people out there to think about possible collaborations outside of our world and, and kind of, I, I do think it's definitely problematic to think of hiring like a lot of interns or people that you end up getting hired are like previous versions of you. And there's all kinds of like, right. that's not the best situation. One thing that I wanted to go back to is, um, you know, talking about, as I feel like my career has been shifting a lot and you're, you're talking about how there, you know, there was a season where you were, you were trying to get your work out there. You were trying to get more opportunities. And, uh, if you could look back to that version of yourself, um, what do you think you, uh, what, what would you say to, to that person? Like what, what things having seen the other side of the, the mountain, what things do you think you would have said, you know, things you were worried about, things you were working for, thing, you know, whatever. What what were the main things that you would say, here's what you need to know right now about g- getting to where you're going? Okay, well, the main thing that I realized in the last, say, three to five years when, and my career really started to take off in the last three to five years, yeah, was that you never arrive. Mm-hmm. Oh, There's, that's so good. Like, I, I want to unpack I, this. Really I think... <laughs> yeah, that's good. I think I thought... I thought for a period of time there that if I just got organized enough or worked hard enough or worked with this client or that client or did this thing or that thing or got this, you know, won this award or whatever, Mm. that I would somehow be in this place where everything was magically, um, I don't know, easy and flowing and, um, and that I wouldn't have any worries and that I would be super confident mm. and that I would, you know, and what I realized is that like, I've really done a lot of the things I aspired to do mm-hmm. back when I started. Like yeah. I really have accomplished most of my goals and I still feel like a nervous wreck most days. <laughs> yeah. I still have a lot of anxiety. Mm. I still 
question whether my work is any good. I still um, get rejections. I still, like I didn't get, I found out this morning I didn't get into American Illustration Annual um, this year. And, you know, I was bummed, but like, whatever. Actually didn't get in. I only applied last year for the first time. Didn't get in and I thought, man, that freaking sucks. And then, so this year out of spite, I just didn't apply. You did it again? (laughs) No, I did it. Did you get in? No, I didn't. Oh, I just thought yeah. I'm not doing it. I'm done because I, I don't, oh, I don't have a great it. history with uh, awards and stuff. So I'm just a baby Neither about do why. it. Why I've never yeah. won one. Okay, yeah. I've applied before. I've never gotten. It. But anyway, every anyway. couple of years, my wife will be like, "You need to apply this year," and then yeah. I do, and I and I'm and now I'm like, "Screw that!" But anyways, yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, I I some things are different. Yeah, I have an employee now. I make a really good income. I, you know, I like, I have less worry about money. I, I do have a lot of opportunity. I'm traveling all over the world this year a couple times to give a talks. And, you know, I really, things are great. That's not to say I haven't arrived in terms of like, accomplishments like you are a successful artist that's true I get that I feel that for sure Mm -hmm. but at the same time I'm no less I think in terms of arriving what I was talking about was like when I did all of those things I was also going to feel an equal amount of calm Mm. and um and that somehow and confidence and sort of everything was going to be really zen and Samantha Han do you know her no I don't do you know Samantha Mm -mm. she's a fellow illustrator and I was talking to her on the phone a few weeks ago and she was like saying the same exact thing but she thought that someday she would just like and she's done all the things she set out to do and she's like I still like all I feel is kind of burned out you know (laughs) and that's not to discourage young aspiring illustrators who want to do what we're doing Mm. that is just to say like you got to do it because you love it and um a few years Years ago, I was watching this documentary about Gerhard Richter. I talk about this a lot. Okay. But um, he's, he's, he's a really well-known fine artist, painter. His work is like in every museum in the world and retrospectives and whatever. He's in his 80s now, I think. Mm. He's, um, he's German or Austrian. Anyway, he, there's this documentary about him. And, you know, here's this guy. He's at the apex of his career, right? He's being filmed by these documentary filmmakers. Yeah. And all you see is this guy who's like super insecure you know, he makes a painting. He can't look at it for like three days because he thinks it's terrible. You know, yeah. he goes to these big openings and tell he's super shy. He doesn't want to talk to people. Mm. And I was like, I had this big aha moment when I watched this film for the first time. Like, oh yeah, like here we you never get to that place where it mm. becomes easy. Yeah, it's a little easier, but you just you never arrive. And if that's your goal, then you got to do it through like meditation or another yeah. means, like. You know, getting to this place in your career isn't going to somehow magically make you happy or feel fulfilled. Mm. Um, it just might make you feel more stressed out, if anything. Yeah, totally. That's totally <laughs> so you true. Feel yourself like I have to take less and more work. And I think I thought that somehow my my life was going to become this magical thing if I just accomplished all these things, and and, and that just didn't happen. Like mm. now, I have new goals and new things I'm aspiring to, and you just not you never arrive it's yeah life is a journey I guess it's not about arriving right? I do think you know so. one of the things for me is like uh I was just talking to uh, a guy uh, I was kind of giving him a personal uh pep talk about his creative career was just kind of starting and uh he had this opportunity and he was just massively stressed out about it about you know sending the perfect email 
and, and, and all the, you know, reply and just navigating it perfectly not to ruin that opportunity. And I just found myself saying that, you know, I can't, I can only think of like one or two things in my career that were really game changers. And even those, had they not happened, I, it might not have changed that much. I might have made a little bit less money for the past two years, but not, nothing like super dramatic. And I think it caused me to think in my day to day, uh, that, you know, every little deadline and all these things, even though I, I'm, I don't know, I have this, uh, my dad, my, my dad and my stepmom are both, um, from corporate America. And so I have this like corporate burden of like, you must be on time. You might like every, these are the very yes, serious yes. things. And, um, and I take them really seriously and I, and I want to run a business that is legit, but you know, I have kids and I, I'm married and, and, and they're more important to me. And I, I think that one of the things that I've tried to glean from that is just that, you know, all these things that you're stressed out about day to day, like, just do your best and then and don't let them consume you because then you can't enjoy it and so what what parts of it now um are thrilling or or really enjoyable uh in a in a tangible way you know i every day like i i i had a year like you last year where yeah you know, stressed out, deadline driven and the whole thing. And this year I decided that I was going to wake up every day, even though I have a busy schedule and I was going to like approach everything with joy Mm. and joy is a sort of like cheesy word, but like to me, it really embodies how I want to live my life. Like I want to be a joyful person. I want to experience my friendships and my relationships, um, and my life and my work with joy. And, um, and part of that is like being grateful for what you have. Yeah. And, uh, and not taking yourself too seriously, like you said, like, yeah. you know, you do a job, might not go perfectly, but you move on to the next one. Yep. But really savoring those moments, like, um, when I get to sit down at my drawing table and create something from scratch, um, even if I'm being art directed, like, I do have a lot of creativity, you know, I get to experience a lot of, of like, creative moments every day, like, yeah. how am I going to approach this problem that this client has, or... Um, I'm working on a lot of my own books right now. So that's great too. Cause I get to like make the rules for yeah. what I do. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really into podcasts and, uh, and music. And mm. I just love those moments where I get to like listen to something interesting or some music that I love and I'm drawing or painting and I'm creating this thing that I get to put into the world. And to me, there's just like, that's what gets me out of bed every morning. Yeah. Despite the stress, despite the deadlines, despite, the occasional client battles over mm. whether this should be this color or that color, yep. you know, um, like really I, that's magical. And I came into this career pretty late in life. And so I had experience like going to a, a desk job every day mm. for 18 years. And I'm telling you like, or maybe 16 years, it's, it's boring as hell. I mean, I think, um, there are ways that desk jobs can be creative, but like yeah. what I get to do now is, um, and I get to change lives in a way, you know, it's so mm-hmm. funny. I used to work in the nonprofit world yeah. and I was working in education and public education and I was very passionate about the, the organization that I worked for and we were really progressive and we were making changes. And, mm. and when I left there to become a full-time artist, I was like, how am I going to get back to the world now? <laughs> yeah. I couldn't imagine. And now I get to do it every day just with my art or inspiring mm. people or writing books that people can learn from. Um, 
because that's also really important to me that I'm part of something bigger than myself and that I can give back and share and be generous. That also motivates me. Um, so yeah, I think living uh, with joy, I guess. Yeah. I, I love that. And actually, um, something I've been leaning into a lot and I, and I, I've been pushing others to do this is I actually spent the past couple of years trying to get into some markets and I, that I think my motivation was really searching for, uh, affirmation of like, I'm worthy as an artist, or I can, you know, I'll be able to sign my name to these types of accomplishments. And that will say that I I had a body of work, or I, I don't know, some, some other, I don't know if it's ego driven or, or whatever it is. But um, right. I, I had a realization uh, over the past couple months, um, that really, if I lean into this stuff, where the process is kind of euphoric for me, that not only um, did those things tend to work out a lot better, I also uh, they I I tend to to make work that is received in such a a, a a better way when I'm when I'm doing that work that is like bringing me joy. And so the the thing for me is that I've I've been pushing people to 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 go into and I, I teach so I I've, I've been pushing my students right. I teach a class and uh, I do the podcast and all that to like lean into and notice when are you feeling most in joy how, how when are you most um in that kind of euphoric place and lean into doing the things that, the processes that are those things and don't be led so much by the end result or or the affirmation or whatever it is. And I don't know. Or even comparing yourself to other people and what yes. you think you should be doing because then maybe an illustrator you admire works in this particular genre or works with these kinds of clients. Mm. Like I talk a lot about, you know, sailing your own ship or carving your own path and that, yeah. you know, if we all did what the other person did or if we all sort of worked in this particular ways, um, it would be boring, right? Mm, like totally. I love how diverse the illustration world is and that we're all doing different things. And I think that's what resonates most for people who follow the work of illustrators is when that illustrator's like like doing that thing that they love mm. because that's what comes across more than, oh, I did sometimes I'll work with a prestigious client and I'll like post a picture on Instagram mm. and, and people don't care like it's yeah all about, whatever yeah if the picture's cool it's great yeah but that's what they really respond to is like if you made something interesting or something that they can relate to not whether you know who you worked with or the kind of thing it was um really in the end i feel like my value or my sense of worth or value is um is so much become so much richer when I'm doing the stuff that I love and putting that out there instead of thinking about what I should be doing mm. or what I could be doing. Um, yeah, sometimes I you think, know, and no, in the beginning ahead. of my career, that was harder too. Yeah, yeah, sorry. What, what did you have more? That's okay. Okay. Um, no, I was gonna say, in the beginning of my career, that was that was harder because I still hadn't figured out what I love to do. So you're kind of like always toggling between figuring out where you know, finding your voice and figuring out who you are as an artist and then also figuring out like what, um, in what parts of the industry is, does my work going to fit best? And that requires experimentation and learning. Yeah. And 
Yeah, I definitely think that's another thing uh, that I think, you know, I, I like the idea. I know that there's always this push and then there's pushback and all that, you know, in, in culture and everything. And I think we're on the wave of pushing back against the do what you love thing to a degree. But, you know, I subscribe to the idea of pushing into the things that are naturally uh, your strengths and, and interests and all that. But I do think you made a good point about like early on, you really have to just try a lot of things before you've lived much of your life. You need to like actually, you don't even know what you like at the beginning or, or what you love. And, and you kind of discover things as you try different things. Um, but yeah. It's true. And you yeah, exactly. And you don't, you know, you, you have to say yes to every opportunity, even if it pays, then you're, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, and um, you got to like, if people are like, well, how do you know what illustration market your work is really going to fit into? And I'm like, you don't, yep. you know, it's, for some people, they graduate from school and their portfolio is so tight already that they really, um, you know, they, they, they instantly fit into a category and start having success immediately. But those situations are rare. I mean, for the most part, you have to work for years to sort of figure out where your niche is. Um, and, um, and it may not be what you expected. Yeah. I think actually the other thing that has been a struggle for me recently is that, so this, the podcast for me and talking, it's really like a weird thing, like has been, has become kind of a, a medium for me that I have been, I've, the momentum of like using my voice as an art, as, as an artist has become, is kind of snowballing and uh, it's really bizarre. And I think podcasting in general uh, is, it's, I don't know, it's just kind of like, it has like a momentum of its own and I love doing it. I'm really, I get in that like euphoric place when I'm, when I'm creating <laughs> podcasts and all this stuff. It's just ridiculous. But I think um, a challenge for me was like, I think we always want to do what seemed amazing to us rather than what is like what what's true to us. And sometimes what's amazing to other people that we do feels super just regular to us, like natural, and we have a hard time yeah. seeing the value of it. And I think for me... I kept thinking like kids books or, or, you know, working for the New York Times or whatever it was. Like these things were uh, these pillars of artistry and therefore were worth my time and energy. And I've had a real difficult time seeing like podcasts for me feel so much more natural and, but they're such a new medium that they don't have that uh, romance about it. But, and I'm, and I'm guessing you know, because you do a lot of, I feel like, new things with the blog and, and these projects and all that, that um, there's a degree where you're just having to make it up as you go along because there's not precedence. The two things, it's kind of a two-part question of... One, one, what are you really excited about? Like, I think one of the things that keeps artists going is like curiosity or like you think you're discovering something new or either that or what do you think's working now or changing um, in the way that people are perceiving things or receiving it? So you go either way there. Like my own work or just in general? Just general. I mean, like, are you, um, what is, what's the thing that, uh, 
is still lingering on your mind when you end for the day or you have to, you know, the thing that you're excited about or, or something that feels fresh? Um, oh gosh. <laughs> you finally stumped me. <laughs> yeah, and actually, I thought, man, before that, I almost wanted to give you like a heads up that I was going to ask you this because I thought it might be hard to come up with on the spot. But, you know, are there one of the things actually that I noticed um, on your blog was this thing about uh, uh, curating your existence online and how. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, okay. Yeah. I can yeah. talk about that. Let's yeah. do that. That's, that's, that's a, thanks, thanks for prompting me. Yeah, yeah. That is one thing that's been on my mind. So I wrote this blog post um, a week before last and I actually need to write a follow up to it because mm. I promised that at the end of this blog post. But I've been thinking a lot about this, um, this idea of basically curating, especially on, in places like Instagram, mm. your, your your online existence yeah. um, and I, I notice that a lot of artists and designers do it we where we we only post photos um, that are sort of perfectly lit and 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 nicely styled um, the more followers you have the less of a tendency you have to post messy pictures or things from your real life I mean when I joined Instagram that's all I posted was pictures of my dog and my yeah. cat yeah I didn't even post very many pictures of my work and yeah. now my Instagram account is my professional account so I take it super seriously I want mm. people to have a really positive experience with my art and yep. I only post twice a day you know that kind of thing and I notice a lot of other people do it too and I said well what does this say about me what does this say about being an artist or a designer mm. what is this communicating to maybe younger generations of people who are looking at or just people in general who are looking at what we do are we try are we sort of only giving them trying to give the impression that our lives are sort of clean and perfect and that the art making process is clean and perfect and um you know i do curate my instagram feed now for very you know, specific reasons that, you know, I need privacy. I don't post a lot of personal photos because now I have 104,000 followers and mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm, you know, there are all reasons that make sense to me. I want my photos to all be things that people are going to enjoy looking at. And, yeah. um, you know, I talked about how, you know, every morning I have to clean cat vomit up yeah. off the floor and I don't take pictures of that because yeah. no one wants to see that. Like I yeah. try to post what I think people are going to want to see. But that only gives a one perspective on my life. And I'm a much more complex person than my Instagram feed will have you um, experience. And mm. people will still say to me, I feel like I know you. And I, yeah. when they meet me in person, I think, no, you don't know me at all. <laughs> what I'm showing you is like this really small microcosm, not just mm. of my life, but of my art practice and my experience as an, as an artist. And that's, I think, part of why my blog is important because it gives me another venue probably like for you your podcast yes. to talk about the real shit that goes mm -hmm. on every day yep. um that your that your visual um imagery might not show yep um and and so i had huge response to this blog post people were like yes i think about this all the time too mm. some people were like i reject that out of hand some people were like i'm caught up in it too i don't know what to think about it and then i promised to kind of come to some conclusion about whether it was good or bad yeah <laughs> or matter um yeah. at some future date and i haven't written a blog post yet but. do you have you have you made a conclusion about no that? i haven't but i'm no and I, I i and i think that's why i haven't written the next iteration um and i think i need to have an opinion um and maybe the opinion is it depends how you look at it or um i, I think ultimately my opinion is that it's harmful yeah 
but I'm not still not sure what to do about that. Mm. Um, because a lot of people came back and said, yeah, your photos are really beautiful and everything, but I still, we still experience you as a real person because of what you write underneath mm. the photos. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like sometimes my voice as a human being kind of um, ha- helps counterbalance the, the prettiness of my pictures. Mm. Um, a lot of people said, yeah, you, your feed is super curated, but not compared to some people's, which are really sterile. Yeah. Um, but those are the people who have a lot of followers because people like to see clean, beautiful, like they want to see what they don't have. That also makes them mad often, like when you're constantly looking at Facebook or Instagram and all you're seeing are people's accomplishments or their beautiful photos, it can also make you feel really crappy about mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I had to go off Facebook this morning because like half my illustrator friends got into American illustration yeah. and I didn't. So I was like, I can't look at this anymore. You know? no, and so, so because we naturally sort of compare ourselves to other people and mm-hmm. um and it's hard. Like I do think how much we curate is potentially harmful because it's not telling the whole story and it's not being super truthful. But I don't I still don't know what to do about it because yeah. I kind of like my nicely lit curated Instagram feed. Yeah. Selfish. Yeah, I, I don't know. I do too, and I don't. I really don't have an answer for that. I think, obviously, I you know, I think it's a complex issue. But I, the one thing that I kind of have told my students that uh, has been a good differentiation for me is I think there's a difference between. So you're not you're not talking about faking it till you make it because you have a career and all that jazz. But I think yeah. early on you hear that like fake it till you make it idea. And I think there's, I feel like any of these things, you can kind of look at them from different directions. And and for me, what I try to tell my students as they're making their websites and, and doing their online stuff is think of it less like faking it and think of it more like dressing for the job you want and not the one that you have. And so, you know, I think yeah. that there's a degree of that, that that's totally fine. Like you, you're aspiring to more and, and, and all that. And then I do think it's, it's gotten complex with, uh, you know, weaving in your, your personality and your personal life with your business. And it sounds like as you've like, uh, created more of a business around this, do you think you're going to see a shift in the way that you identify with your art or have you seen a shift in that? Like, is there a difference between you and your, your art? I think my art is a really strong reflection of my personality. So, and I think that comes through, um, for sure. And so I actually feel very connected to my work. Mm. Um, and I do feel like like my work is, I don't feel like I've dumbed down my work or that my mm. work is in any way, I mean, occasionally I'll do an illustration job where I'm being art directed to death and yeah. it doesn't end up feeling like me at all. Yeah. We, and that's just part of being an illustrator. We all, yeah, we all have to do um, that. Or a designer, right? It's, yep. it's just the way it is. But for the most part, I try to infuse my personality and my passions and my interests and my my colors and my markings into everything that I do so that you know, and I do a lot of different things and I work in a lot yep. of different mediums. I feel, sometimes I feel a little schizophrenic, but, um, <laughs> but I do feel like I, my goal is always to keep it authentic mm. to me and to work uh, on things. Like I've turned down jobs because I, I just, I'm like, I can't, I can't do a job for this, you know, cleaning company yeah. or, or, you know, or this like product that I, you know, would never use or, 
Mm. And, um, but, but for the most part, like I, I take jobs that feel like a good fit for me and I do work that, um, that feels like me. I have a developed a distinct style and, you know, and all of that. So that is helpful. Um, but again, it's like after years and years of practice and working on it that I've come to this place. And I think like the people, you know, your students, they're in it, they're in this place where like, it's super exciting because the world is their oyster. They could do anything. Um, but that's also really overwhelming and you got to try all these different things. And, um, and ultimately, you know, when I teach, I say, you got to develop an identifiable look and feel to your artwork. And that's why people are going to hire you. And, um, and part of the curation that we do online is to help, is to help with that. Mm -hmm. Um, giving people a distinct idea of who we are and what we're about. And sometimes it feels a little whitewashed, but it's kind of what you have to do to market your business. And, um, and it's just, it's like nothing is perfect, um, or clean really, but the extent to the make, the extent to which you can, you know, sort of represent your brand, whatever that is, um, in a way that feels consistent and recognizable, um, the better you're going to do. Yep. That's just, and I definitely, that's just how it works. It sounds like to me that you uh, have an eye, like a, you've developed a healthy version of uh, thinking of ha- you have a private life and then you also have a business to run and there's there's differences there. And, and I do think you need to work out, everyone has to work it out for themselves of like what they're comfortable with and how that manifests and all that. Um, one thing, one last thing that I wanted to ask you, we talked a lot about uh, insecurities and, and just different emotional things that you have to work through as you're in different stages uh, as an artist. And actually, I think, um, I think a lot of, you hear a lot of artists talk about fear and, and, and imposter syndrome and all this kind of jazz. And I think from a, on a day-to-day basis, I would have assumed that I don't actually struggle with that until recently. I've just noticed that sometimes, uh, some emotional bout of like wrestling with my work will actually throw off my half of my day because I will get into this weird corner of, wishing I had that or, or thinking, you know, my work sucks because of X, Y, and Z. Um, as you've been doing this for uh, a while now, what have you learned any tricks that have helped that help you get out of that funk or tackle, um, those days? And do you still have those days? Yeah, I think I I mentioned that earlier that like, yeah, I have days and moments where I I had one two days ago. I was like, my work sucks. I, (laughs) you know, I I was like, um, why am I even doing this? I should just quit, you know, and, and it's part of the creative process. Like Mm -hmm. that's what I meant. Also, like you think you're going to arrive at this place where everything becomes easy and flows out of you just, but it doesn't, it's still, everything is kind of a struggle. Um, but it would be boring if it wasn't. So Mm. So yes, I still experience those things. And, um, you know, with age, I have become much more resilient uh, because I think the greatest gift that the universe can give you is perspective. Mm. And um, the way you get perspective is through going through hard stuff, getting through it, surviving it. And then when you go through it again, um, you're like, oh, I got through this already. I'm going to get through it again this time. And then the next time. So I think perspective really helps me. Um, and again, it's the only, you can only develop it with, with 
with age. So, you know, things do in some ways get easier. I also just try to remember that I'm a human being and that I'm not the only one who gets jealous or frustrated or envious or feels like a jerk, that these are parts of the human experience that everyone experiences. Um, If I'm feeling it, somebody else is feeling it too. Mm -hmm. So that like oneness with humanity helps me. And then I just sort of like brush myself off and I try to focus on my own journey um, and my own path, which hasn't failed me yet. Like it's different than other people's and I haven't gotten everything I've wanted and haven't worked with every dream client, you know, blah, blah, but it's, um, but it's going pretty well. And so I'm just going to keep doing my thing and focus on, you know, what I get, the positive stuff I get out of that. And one of the the things that you said, and that always helps me. Yeah. One of the things that I think is really important that you said was, uh, something that I try to remember that's really helped me is that, you know, when I was in college, uh, I had to work at, uh, at Subway and, uh, I always liked talking (laughs) about that because it just, I was a sandwich artist before I was an artist. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, and I hated that job. And I, and I think, a lot of why I hated it was it was so boring and so easy in terms of challenge. And I try to remember as when I'm really going through it and it's really emotional or it's really, uh, there's lots of conflict that that's why it's not boring and that's why it feels right. meaningful. And so I try, I think that that's a good point that you just, as you're going through it, remember that, you know, I've heard it said like, uh, if you watched a movie and there was no conflict, it would be totally boring. And so to remember that those moments of triumph that are that mean a lot to you, that feel fantastic and why you do it, are only fueled by all of the crap. Um, and so I think that that definitely helps me. Um, and well, that's a good point. And I think sort of like because we have the perspective, we, un- we sort of understand that because we've been through enough in life. Like there's this quote this by... Um, Sigmund Freud and it's something like someday all the years of struggle will will strike you as the most beautiful yeah. and it's true right like mm. can't you look back to your 20s like some shit you went through and you're like man that made this happen or I became a better person or that helped me develop yes. this friendship with this person yeah. or that situation that was so heartbreaking to me actually helped me grow in this way and again only years in perspective will help you um understand that and I and and it's and it's true and it's Mm. like that's if we never went through hard things or we never felt insecure we never questioned our work um where would we would be be boring people who and there'd be no there'd be no there there yeah exactly I think you don't want to live in the struggle you don't want to stay in the struggle you don't but you got you got to work through it and have a positive attitude but like but it's so it's essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually, there I feel like I'm someone who I've had moments in my career that have literally, you know, brought me to tears. That I'm I'm so like, man, like, oh, this is awesome, and like, you know, I worked really hard for this, and and I always I'm always you know I always know those moments of real feelings of like triumphing through something. I know that that is all of that great feeling and and accomplishment is fueled by 
all the struggles and, and all the things before. Yes. And, and I get, I think I got to the point where I'm a little bit sick about it to where I have, whenever I'm like <laughs> up against something really challenging, there's a tiny part, it's small, but there's a tiny part of me that's like, this is going to feel so good when I finally get to the other side. But yeah, that perspective. I'm in the middle of a really hard illustration job right now. Yeah. I mean, it's massive, super fast turnaround. Mm. I'm, on, I'm doing a book interiors and cover for another author. And yeah. I'm telling you the cover, I'm just like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm on like my fourth round of changes. Oh my we can't, gosh. It's, it's all digital. It's all in illustrator. So there's like, there's so much back and forth about color, which you can change so easily in illustrator. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so there, yeah. there's not, you know, if I had just painted it, they would have been like, fine, all right, move fine, on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're done. And, uh, and I'm just like, I'm about to stab myself in the mm, head at yeah. the same time. I know that when this book is done, it's going to be so beautiful and I'm going to be so like relieved that it's over and proud of it. So and that's why that you got it perfect. And you know, all, you know, put right. all the time in. So yep. That's why I'm just like muddling through with the art director right now to yep. get it there. You know, it sucks. I feel yep. you on that. All right. I think that that's probably the full, the full deal. I had an awesome time talking to you and yeah, this is great. <laughs> I super appreciate it. This was fantastic. I, I think that uh, it's great to get a perspective from someone that is in your position in their career. And uh, I think that it hopefully for those that are still kind of in hustle mode, it will help them have some peace and, and help them to have the perspective to enjoy it as it's going. That's one of the things when I look back at early on, I wish I would have enjoyed even the times when money was tight and all that. Just enjoy it while you're doing it. Because when you're starting out, you do have much more freedom because yeah. you're, you are making more personal work. You're trying to build your portfolio. Yeah. And I always tell students, because I, I lecture in classes a lot, you enjoy this time because yes. in 10 years, you're not going to have any of it. Yeah. You know, And um, it really is a special time, You know, that period of time when you're growing your business. Yep. So thank you. And I... And I love your work okay. and it's so, and I've seen, uh, it just seems like it continues to get more mature and like the swimming stuff that you've been doing, the, the, the swimming book and all that just, it's, uh, it's just really awesome to, uh, watch your work grow and the career and all that. So, and you know, I've, I've learned a lot through everything that you've done and I hope that, uh, this next year is fantastic for you. Thank you, Andy. Yep. It was a pleasure talking to you, and I can't wait to see you at Icon this year. Yes. All right. I will uh, I'm, we'll hang out. Yeah. Man, that was so good. Thank you again so much, Lisa. That was fantastic. Uh, you are super generous with your time and sharing your story as an artist. And I know that it's going to make a big difference for people. And uh, just, you know, it's just awesome to have a such a candid conversation. I got so much from it, and I'm sure all of you are going to as well. So again, go check out Lisa's work. And uh Go thank her for um, being so generous and so helpful. 
Guys, thank you for backing the show on Patreon. Thank you for the crazy amount of iTunes reviews that you give me every week. Thank you for spreading the word of Creative Pep Talk. The growth of this show has been pretty nuts this year. Um, Every week it starts to kind of jump up in a considerable way. Um, You guys are so awesome. When you guys share the show, it just means a lot to me. And, you know, a lot of you say that you share it with your friends and your coworkers and um, all that good stuff. And thank you so much. Um, Thanks for the support and the love. I hope that you get tons from this. I hope that this helps you strike a balance between making good money and making great art. Thanks, guys. Thanks to Illustration Age, our syndicate. You can find the show on illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk. Thanks to Yoni Wolf, the lead singer of Why, for letting us use his music as our theme music. Uh, thanks to Nate Utesh, my man, an, an illustrator, designer, cool dude guy who is just fantastic. Thank you for letting me use your band, Metavari's music for the podcast. It's perfect for the podcast, and it's great work music. Go check that out, guys. Guys, I've got so much awesome stuff planned for Creative Pep Talk this year. It's ridiculous. I cannot wait to get it to you. Um, and until then... You have to go back and listen to old episodes if you have to do whatever, do whatever it takes to stay pepped up. It's